Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. And today we have a very special guest. Actually, I think one of my favorite people I met in 2022, Lisa Liu. How you doing, Lisa? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here. And I'm going to start with why. You took part in our, graciously, in our panel for our Women in Technology event at Hard Rock last month. And we got so much feedback about you and your answers and everything you had to say. So grateful for you doing it. And by the way, you were an exceptional panelist. So I want to start there. I want to get your immediate thoughts. Do you do a lot of panels like that? Is that, do you do a lot of public speaking? Cause it just, it seemed to come very naturally for you. I don't do a lot of public speaking, but I will tell you, this is all rehearsed. I spent so many years just preparing and practicing, talking to myself in front of cameras as I'm walking, the whole thing is learned. So if there's something that you want to do and you want to get better at it, you got to practice. I took a lot of time getting better at it. Yeah. One of the things you did that I absolutely love that I think engaged the audience. Number one, you really know how to punch up a line. You know how to hit that and get effect out of that. We had people like cheering and like raising their arm after you said things. So I love that. But you also were able to interweave things like work and home and pop culture and Jay-Z got brought up once or twice. So let's talk about this because I want to know a little bit about you because we're going to talk a lot about your work experience and your work history. What are your passions outside of work? What are you excited about? What gets you excited about outside of work? So I'm just going to start with where I am in life. I just had a baby. Congratulations. Three and a half months old. He's super cute. But I built my identity outside of him. I had him relatively late. So I love drinking wine. I love traveling. I love reading books and listening to murder mysteries. I watch a lot of TV shows about murder mysteries and really exciting like storylines. Love HBO. I think the thing that I love the most is spending time with my significant other. He plays a huge role and we just love talking to each other. I have a really small, close-knit group of friends that I've had since I was in the eighth grade. So they are still very much in my life. And I just learned to be way more comfortable with myself and being alone and spending time by myself. So that's where I am and how I like to operate today. I love that. So there's a lot there. And I'm going to come back to having a son in a minute. You're, you're, here's the thing. My wife and I, I joke around. People ask me, what are you doing on a Friday night? Me and my wife are sitting on the couch. We're busting open a bottle of red wine and we're watching Dateline in 2020 because we love the crime shows as well. So maybe we can work out some sort of double date here. We'll figure that out, okay? The other exciting thing is you said your son's three and a half months old, which is a great age, not necessarily to sleep through the night, but to put him to bed and be able to continue to do the things that you want to do because when they start running around and moving and opening drawers and doing all that stuff, things get crazy. Now, I'm not going to give you any parental advice because that's not that type of podcast, but just be ready because it's coming. (laughs) I want to ask you this, though, and I know it's very relatively new, right? But has being a mother changed your work or maybe your mindset at work at all? I thought it would, 
But for me, I really miss being at work because during my maternity leave, I spent a lot of time thinking about when should I change the diaper? When should I feed him? I got to walk my dog. My entire day felt like I was just obsessing over when I was going to change a diaper. But now I feel like I get to have adult conversations. And at the end of the day, I can have a glass of wine. And to me, what I need is this ability to have mental stimulation in addition to changing diapers and all that good stuff. But it'd be very different if I had the baby when I was a little younger. But because I'm older, I am who I am. I'm set. This is how I like to live my life. I love it. So much of my identity is tied up in my work that when it gets taken away from me from any reason, it does feel like there's a hole, even though I have four children myself, I have all these outside interests and things, but work is such a big part of my routine and who I are. And quite frankly, how I view myself when I look in the mirror, that any type of knock to that can be a change. And what was interesting dynamic is my wife, I'm grateful that she's the co-captain of our ship. She does the stay at home mom thing. And to your point, I would come home from a very stimulating day at work. I'd be exhausted, but challenged and all that exciting stuff. And she spent her entire day talking to three and four-year-olds and having conversations at this level. So to your point, that ability to, that's why I have to be empathetic and I have to understand that and help out as much as I can when I get home, because that's not easy. And then I always tell her how hard that job is. Being a mother is 10 times harder than what I do in my role here. So I totally align with you on that on a lot of levels and just being able to integrate those two very special things is going to be very exciting for you. So what I'm excited about here is we talk a lot about hiring and we try to bring in people that are great at hiring. And you are, without a question, great at hiring. You've hired a lot of different people throughout your career. You've been on the consulting side. You've been on the corporate side. So I want to dive into our questions. And I know that you've got some things for me that we're going to talk about. So let's just get right into it in terms of the hiring stuff. I want to know from you, tell me if you had to put in one sentence your overall hiring philosophy, when you bring somebody onto your team, what is it? Okay, it's one sentence, but three parts. Okay. The sentence is, know yourself, be curious about your profession, and honor the room. So I'm going to kick it off with the first piece. And everything has to be happening in threes. Yep. Also, Asians don't like the number four. Five is great, but too long. So threes. <laughs> first part, know yourself. My first yep. question for you is, Ooh. are you more oriented towards ambition or legacy? Great question. I'm going to double up on your know yourself. I spent my 20s doing that and just putting myself in a lot of different situations and asking myself, why do I feel this way? Why do I like this person? Why does this class stimulate me? And it gave me so much more sense when I got into the workforce, when I met my wife. So I 100% agree with you. Know thyself is the most important thing. And you have to be intentional about it. That is very mm -hmm. key. We're going to get deep here. When you ask me about ambition or legacy, it's definitely legacy. And I'll tell you why. I was raised, so I'm half Indian, half German. My parents could not be more different people. I don't even know how these two people met, let alone got married and had a kid. My, my dad is very far one side, liberal, earring in the ear, like dating, drinking, doing all these different things. And my mom could not be more conservative, comes from a religious background, very honor-based Indian upbringing. So I got, I'd like to think the best of these two worlds. The thing that really resonates with me was that my mom always raised me in a way where I wasn't just behaving or making decisions for myself. It was always my family tied to that. And not many people know this about me, but my great grand, he was essentially what I would call the vice president of a city state in India back in the early 30s and 40s in Hyderabad. And so in some ways that was considered royalty, right, for my family. And they grew up in a way that was extremely affluent and where there was a lot of privilege, but also a lot of things that came with having somebody of that level of stature in. And then of course, different things happened in terms of moving to the US. 
But legacy was always really important to me. And what's interesting is that I always felt no matter what I do on this planet, I've raised my children to be very in tune with our family unit and our last name and what that means, wearing that on your back or whatever, writing it on a piece of paper. That's why we do right or wrong in my family. And for that reason, having a son was really important to me. So much so that I had my first daughter and then I had my second daughter and I had my third daughter. And at my third daughter, my wife was in tears after we came back and found out the sex of the baby because she knew that for me, having my legacy carry on was really important. Here's the other thing. I'm the only person with my last name. So long story, my mom and dad got married. They changed my dad's name. And so I'm the only Rashid that exists from this line of family. Oh. And so that idea of legacy became even more important because for me, if it just left without me and I passed on, that would have been it. Or I could be the beginning of something, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting question. I don't think it's tied to ego. Maybe it is tied a little bit to ego, but a big part of it is that I want to leave this world better off than when before I came into it, right? That's why impact motivates me so much. And that's why my children are so important to me in terms of leaving that legacy. So legacy, long answer, most important to me. Ambition is cost of admission for doing what I do as an entrepreneur, but legacy is more important to me. We have a very similar story, believe it or not, and I'll get it to you in a second, but I got to know, did you ever have just ambition? So I want to ask you, I want to throw it back to you. How do you differentiate between the two? Ambition. Let me just get into my own story and then I'll define it for you. Sure. Just like your great grandpa, VP of state city in India, affluent privilege. My grandfather was a general in the Chinese army. He fought alongside the flying tigers in World War II. Wow. We lived in China very much in privilege. And my parents plucked us from that because my dad wanted to have a better life in America to make his own path. We came here with nothing. And so I got this in my head that I must make something of myself. And it really resonates with me what you talk about with your son, because I was part of the one child law in China where we only have mm. one kid. Wow. Mom tried a couple of times. It didn't work out three times. I was the fourth one. Had anything worked out prior to me, I wouldn't exist. So I had this chip on my shoulder that I have to make this work or my parents crazy dream of coming to America. This American experiment will fall apart and there's no backup plan. Mm. And all this will be for nothing. So you talk about legacy and a son to carry on your name. I'm a girl. I can't carry on my dad's name. Either I make it or there's nothing. Wow. So I came to America with this crazy notion that I have to make something out of me. And it drove me to this blind ambition. I didn't know myself very well in my 20s. And so when I was 20, I decided that the definition of success is one title. That's it. Didn't know there's fulfillment, didn't think about family, friends, nothing. It was one title. That was the definition of success. Doesn't make you happy, doesn't make you feel, doesn't matter. And so I was blind with ambition. And what that looks like at the moment is my company's goals or my goals. I had no other goals outside of just that. And I wanted to get to the highest title that I can and the fastest time that I can. And I didn't think about what impact I was making in the world. You said you want to leave this world better off. You're motivated by impact. Your children mean something to you so much. I didn't have any of that. I just had a title that I was chasing. And so do you watch Game of Thrones? 
I do. Okay. Daenerys's story arc from when she was young and bushy-tailed at the end of season eight when she's on a dragon burning down King's Landing. That's what my ambition looked like. I could see myself starting in a certain way and then ending through lots of things that happen, burning down a city to make what I wanted come to life because I had no other definition of success. But to me, what legacy looks like, and I'm not there yet because I haven't accomplished what I wanted to yet. I'm really in the middle between ambition and legacy is that you wanna make a long lasting impact there are people that you want to nurture. It's about the team, long-term objectives, sticking around when things get hard. Maybe it's longer-term wealth. Maybe it is your children, but it's about lasting impact than whatever I had going on before, which is I'm going to burn down the city as long as I get what I want. I love that. And so I'm so glad you clarified that because as you said, it crystallized in my mind why I wasn't leaning towards ambition. And it's because pretty early on, the way that people define success, money, title, prestige, fame, I never looked at those as the things that I was looking for. I looked at those as potential byproducts of creating that impact that I wanted to have. And so my ambition has been less tied to these trappings that are important and more about I'm going to have this objective in my life where I have children, I build something, I create impact, and all that stuff will come with it if I do that in a great way. So I think it's an amazing analogy. What happened? What changed? What was the flip for you? Was there a seminal moment where that happened? Did you know that your career isn't just a constant trajectory up? Not, not always. That's for sure. <laughs> there are ups and downs in careers. And the thing that I learned is that it's not how high your career goes. It's what happens if you ever fall. Do you have a network? Or do you pick yourself up? Do you even have the tools to be able to pick yourself up? So I had ups and downs in my careers. And I think what I'm learning now as part of Know Yourself is how to build an ecosystem where you have friends, family, network, support, love to hold you up in case anything ever happens because your career will never go 100% up all the time. So what do you do when things change? And that's what I'm learning now. And again, I'm right in the middle of ambition and legacy. I'm nowhere close to where I'm going or my dream or my goals. I'm still trying to figure it out. And that's both really scary and really exciting. And so I think what I would love to learn from you is if you are focused on legacy, how do you build it? That's a big question. How do I build it? You have to create things that are lasting, right? And part of that is your name. So let's start there. And I think we both come from East Asian backgrounds. And so that's yeah. a big part of what our parents are drilling into our head at a very young age. So my name is one part of it. And so part of that is living a certain way that when people look at it, whether it be people in my company, whether it be my children, whether it be the people around me, where they respect it, that I'm not bringing shame to my family, to my name. And that doesn't mean I'm always perfect. I am definitely not. But I'm trying to create something that my name means something and that I as a person have character that means something. So that's one aspect of it. Next, as I build a business, right? 
I'm not interested in people always talk about what's your exit strategy? How much money do you want to make? Like those are such short-term things, right? Like to me, like I'm one of the few entrepreneurs that was asked early on in his career, what is your exit strategy? I go, I don't got one. I go, this is what I want to do. I want to create something lasting. I want to create something that MSH changes and transforms hiring and talent acquisition in a way where it's synonymous with revolution, right? And that's really what I care about. And I know, again, with that will be a byproduct of money, right? And byproduct of title and byproduct of any of those trappings that are important to some, but not necessarily to me. In fact, some of them could be nuisances in some respects, right? And then the last aspect of it is my children. And so when people ask me, what is your goal in life? Like what's important to you? I talk a lot about how I want to buy a sports team one day. That's very important to me because it, it combines my passions. But when you ask me what my real objective in life, what am I walking towards at all times? is that I want my kids to do more than me. I want them to exceed me. And so what that starts with is me setting an incredibly high bar professionally. Now, they might go in a bunch of different avenues, right? President, ballerina, sports, academics, scientist, who knows, okay? But I've got to set a really high bar in my space, okay? So they have something to look at and say, I want to get above that in whatever my industry is, right? And then I've got to empower them through getting them good schooling, through teaching and guiding them through teaching morals and character. So when I look at legacy, right, there's a three prong. And this is for me. This is me talking about myself. It's about me and the way I carry myself. And so that when I pass on in this world, that means something. People remember me in a positive way and that I made positive impacts on them. Two, on the company I'm building and building something that's not fly-by-night, something that's not vaporware, something that means something and has impacted the people who work here and the customers we work with. And then lastly, my children, right? And those are hopefully that goes down into them and then they have children and that goes down into them. And if you do all three of those things, you got a legacy, I think. I love it. I'm going to replay it back to you the way I heard it. Okay. Create things that are lasting. Yep. That's about you, the way you carry yourself. They remember you positively. The next one is build a business synonymous with revolution. And that's the company you're building. It's about the people. And then finally, Help your children be more than what you have today. And how do you help them succeed? I think that's a great blueprint for what legacy looks like. Now, I would love to get there. And the reason why this is the first part of this philosophy of hiring is if you know yourself, then you know what you're looking for. If you know what you're looking for, then you're making the best time of your time and their time. If you're looking for someone to help you build your legacy, how do they fit into your organization's priority goals and metrics? How do they build a business that's about revolution? How do they help you build something that's lasting? Yeah. But back in the day when I was about ambition, these are the metrics I got to hit. These are the priorities. You're going to help me get there or not. And if you're not, you're out. So know yourself so that you can figure out what it is that you're looking for. And I want to go back to one point you made. It was a throwaway comment. It was so incredibly impactful. You started learning about yourself in your 20s. I did. In fact, yeah. So I always had this internal narrative going on at a very young age. I remember, this is going to sound so silly. I remember being in like third or fourth grade. And taking a step back out of being in the purview of talking with my classmates and being like, wow, we're like a little community here of adults that are having these little conversations and have these different priorities and wants and desires. And I remember thinking like that, I must have been like seven or eight years old, right? I had this 
narrative going on at all times. And I remember one of the things that was really important to me about when I went to college and I went to the University of Arizona, I remember getting through high school and being like, okay, that was an experience, right? That was interesting, right? But I want something more for when I go to college. And so I thought to myself, where can I go that is going to, one of the things I knew about my identities, I love sports. So I probably overweighted that a little bit too much when I was choosing a college, but also I wanted to adapt socially as well as intellectually. So as much as I knew getting good grades in, in high school is important to get into a good college, I wanted to be as fully formed as a social person, as a person with EQ. And so I made that a very important part of my criteria when going to school. And so I went to school about 90 minutes south of where I had my family was in, in Tucson, Arizona. And I went out of my way to get involved with as many things that I hadn't done in high school as I could have. I wanted to make friends with people in different groups. I wanted to get involved with philanthropy and community and intramurals and all these different things. I wanted to take classes all across the spectrum. I went to school for five years, which is nobody's idea of a plan. But for me, I were so many different things I was interested in that I wanted to learn about myself. And so that's what I did. I wanted to had ideas on religion, right? But I really wanted to study every religion and really have an informed answer about what that personal relationship meant for me. So I did that in college, right? I dated a lot of different types of girls, right? From everybody from the valedictorian to girls who failed out of school and everything in between, because I wanted to figure out what is, oh, I like this. I don't like this. What was that about? Why did I get angry here? Why was I sad here? Why did that person have that effect on me? That was really important to me. I took philosophy classes to help me understand how other people's perspectives were and learn from that perspective. I had friends that were all across the spectrum that, that in the college environment. So what I was doing in all of this very intentionally was figuring out what mattered to me. What were the people I wanted in my life? What were the things I wanted to study and be knowledgeable about? What were the intentions I had and how did I want to take them to eventually find my career? And so I was probably a little bit of a, a, a Yoda in, in college and the way I talked in my philosophy. And I think it drew people to me in some ways, but some people probably were turned off by it too. But I was very much trying to find myself. And listen, there was bad byproducts of this, okay? I would tell you that in my 20s in college, I probably shut off my family a little bit more than I should have. I probably shut off my friends that I went to high school with and that have been really good friends of mine to a degree because I was going through this. I want to learn about myself. I want to figure things out for myself. And to bring the past back into it is a distraction because I already got what I needed from that. Now it's about the go forward. And so I was a very fluid concept in my 20s. Then an interesting thing I've told people in dating, right? If you're dating somebody, if you're a 24, 25 year old guy and you're dating a 21 year old girl and then you invariably break up, it's like, well, what happened? It's like, listen, nobody changes more between the ages of 21 to 24. That's when you're forming your life values. Now, when you get to 24, 25, you start to set a core and that's a lot of who you are going forward for the most part, right? And so for me, I got to that point where I really felt like I understood myself. And now I just started pursuing what I wanted. I want, so I want to go to this, or I want to work at this type of company, or I want to surround myself with these types of people. Or when I meet the girl of my dreams, my wife, I know exactly what to do because I kissed a bunch of frogs for lack of a better analogy, right? Before that, right? So for me, once I spent all that time intentionally trying to understand what made me tick and really asking the five whys, I brought this up before, right? When I have an emotion, right? I ask myself, why do I have that emotion? And then I'll ask myself, well, why is that okay? And then why did that? And where does that come from? And then I get to the core root of why I thought that way. And that's how you understand yourself. And so I spent my 20s doing that. I was probably a very different person. People probably thought I was super confused, right? Because I didn't have as much rigidity as others did. But it really helped me understand and be intentional about what I wanted with my life after that. And so I don't know that I'd recommend it for everybody, but it worked for me. I recommend it for everybody. I don't know who you are, 
what you do, but goodness, if you learn about yourself, if you know yourself, what you like, what you don't like, it just makes life so much richer. And I, what I liked about what you said was you said a word intentional or intention four times. And I think why that's important is it doesn't just happen. You don't just happenstance fall into it. You have to know who you are. That's the only way you can make good hires. If you know who you are, you know where you're looking for, then you can be intentional about where you're driving the organization. My- yeah, let me take that back real quick because there's something you said I want, I want to drive on. What are you hiring for, right? I immediately thought of values right? Because I'm thinking of legacy, right? Whereas if you're thinking of ambition, you're looking at people's metrics to say, this person's going to be a good fit for here. Am I, did I get it? Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay perfect. Carry yes. on. That. And so there's another way to look at knowing yourself is, are you more interested in a specific mission? Or are you more loyal to a specific person in your pursuit of a lasting business? Do you believe those things have to be mutually exclusive? No. Okay. Here's what I would say. Definitely a mission. Okay. I believe deeply that hiring is flawed and hasn't been rethought. It needs to be changed. It needs to be democratized. It needs to be better. We need to rethink it. We need to spend more time, intellect in that space. And so I'm creating and building a company that values that same thing. Now, what I would tell you is I feel like because of that, we've done a good job of hiring people that also believe that's super important and also want to be part of that. And so now it's not a matter of if I'm loyal to the person or the mission, I'm only bringing people on who want to be part of that mission. And if that changes, that's okay. That's not a problem. But then that probably means going forward that we're not the best fit as an organization in terms of you working here. And then at that point, it's not a matter of loyalty. It's just, hey, sometimes things change and that's okay. So I am a very loyal person. I think my employees would say that. I know my wife and family would say that, but I'm more driven by the mission. So I try to surround myself with people that want to be part of that, or at least okay with me pursuing it, like in my family's case. How interesting. So my significant other, he was a 20-year naval officer, a former Navy SEAL, and he's always drilled into me loyalty above all else except honor and so loyalty was so important to him and when I was growing up in my career I was so loyal to people and it's only been recently maybe the last two years that I switched to mission oriented and it drives a totally different behavior because when you're mission oriented you really believe in what you're doing there's outcomes and objectives and everyone's driving towards the same thing But when I was loyal to people, no matter where they were going, even if it was different from the mission, I followed them. It's just such a different way to operate. Yes, you can be both, but I think one thing will always win. I love that. Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) no one's idea of a great philosopher, but man, does he say some really smart and important things. And so he has this term called egotistical utilitarian. Oh. And what he tries to say in, in this is that pursuing things like for me that could seem they could be for me are actually for the better, greater good. Like, how do you find that decision circle of pursuing things that will improve your life and are part of your mission, right? But not do it at the cost of others' dreams, others' missions. How do you create that? Can you do something that's centered around your desire and want? 
but that's for the greater good of others, right? And so that that philosophy has always stuck with me on the idea of, sure, I want to pursue these types of things, right? And have a big impactful company, but not so that I can be super wealthy or so that I can people will listen to me or people will want to turn on the TV when I'm on there. I'm doing it because I feel like it's going to make things better for all of these companies and for all of my employees and my family. And so all these things that I'm pursuing that might, in a lot of cases, be seen as selfish drivers, I'm actually really doing for those for the impact that's going to have positively on the people around me. What a great, so you said it was egotistical utilitarian. Yep. And they sound two very conflicting things. Yeah. But this is a philosophy that he has in his life and allows him, I, maybe it's just rationalizing, feeling good, pursuing the things you want to. But I do believe that you can have intent for others and still pursue the things that improve your life and that impact other people's lives. I think those, I don't think these things have to be mutually exclusive. That's a really interesting point because I, that leads to, the second element of the philosophy. So be curious about your profession. I know you do a lot of research and you looked me up and you got ready for this interview. You do a lot of research. How do you get smart on topics? Very basic general question. Yeah, so I'll tell you one philosophy I have that I don't know that everybody always agrees with, but I look at my mind as a database that has limited storage, okay? I cannot be an expert and knowledgeable on everything. I just can't, okay? And when I was younger, when I was back there finding myself in my 20s, I was what you would call a Renaissance man. I could play Jeopardy or quiz shows really good because I had a lot of like somewhat deep knowledge on thousands of topics. And it made me great at cocktail parties because if you're talking about politics, I could dive in. And if you're talking about sports, I could dive in there and I could talk about this. And then what I realized was by doing that, I'm actually not making the traction in anything I want to. Now, I only pursue things or pursue knowledge that actually is going to improve me and make me better. For example, I don't read fiction books. That's not for everybody, okay? But to me, while you can learn from those, it's incremental. Whereas if I pursue and read about the things that I care about, mindset, management, talent, right? The culture. These are things that I read a lot, but those are the things I really center my reading around because now I'm developing depth in that space, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, part of getting knowledge about something is picking what's important to you to be about knowledgeable about because you can't be knowledgeable about everything. Not at the depth that you want to be seen as somebody that's worth listening to or a thought leader in that space. So that's one aspect of it. The second is I am a traditional book reader. I don't have Audible. I don't look at digital books. I love having a book in my hand. I probably have hundreds of books at my house. And the only reason it's hundreds is because I give books away a lot as gifts. And so I love reading books because to me, a book, not like a magazine article, not like a Twitter article, not like anything. You can get to a level of depth there, right? that is really significant and can shape the way you think, right? Mm -hmm. So that's really important to me. I want to watch movies, watch TV and read books. How I classify the best ones are the ones that change the way I think. And so I pursue those books. Back in the 20s, I could tell you about the East Ottoman Empire. Or I could tell you about the War of 1812. Or I could tell you about geopolitical issues in the Cold War. But I've limited my, my, my depth in those places so that I can get really expert in another space. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little bit of an ad out here for Elon Musk unintentionally. Yeah. Twitter... It's something that I've been on since 2007. I've been very intentional about it. I believe that product has so much utility that people don't fully understand or have taken advantage of. And they certainly haven't been able to monetize in a way that I believe. But I consume so much information through reading books and listening to podcasts and then through Twitter. Because what I do is I've curated my feed based on the spaces that I know are credible or at least credible to me. I try not to have an echo chamber. I try to put variants there so I can see different points of view and perspectives. And then whenever I have free time, some people like to relax, some people like to take a nap, 
Some people like to have a drink. I'm going through and I'm just consuming content and be like, Ooh, I didn't know that was happening. Ooh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. And so that has allowed me to get my news that way, to get my sports information that way, to get opinions that way. And so I would say the three things that I really leverage in terms of researching or learning is going to be like everybody. I'll go online and research on Google or LinkedIn, but primarily books, podcasts, and my Twitter feed. That's where I consume the content I get that gets me smart on the things I want to get smart about. Is that a good answer? It's a great answer. Okay. What you said first was that your mind was a database, limited storage. I think about my brain a lot about how it functions. And my brain looks like a bowl of spaghetti and I have to run or walk and process as all the spaghettis and lay them out. And then I connect all the dots. So I'm less refined as a database that I can pull out anytime more as here's a cyclone of crazy. Here's how I unpack all that crazy and connect the dots. I love that. I think magic happens in this white space of curiosity. To go back to egotistical utilitarian, the only way you can pursue things for you and for the greater good is if you know what it is that you're trying to solve, you know the industry, you know the company. And so the fact that you read books, you listen to podcasts, you look at Twitter to consume the curated content, That's how you learn. That's how you're curious. That's how you can solve things and make it more of a revolution. So the way I learn is very different. I only read fiction. So there's that. I don't- Not a bad thing. (laughs) I love podcasts. I like Smartless, Armchair Experts, Brene Brown, and then Crime Junkies. I'm all about these crazy podcasts. I only read all these wild fiction books. But the way I learn is if it is a public company, I read their 10Ks and I listen to their investor reports and I go to their website and I read their press releases. If it's a private company, I go to their website, I learn as much as I can, I watch their ads on YouTube. But the most helpful thing for me to get smart is interviewing people. And it's always open-ended questions, but the questions are based off of everything I've researched ahead of time, similar to what you do. But I feel like for me, the best way to get smart is to talk to people. And in consulting, I served a lot of different sectors. So we had to learn a lot about those sectors and those companies rapidly. As much as I can read, nothing helps more than talking to people. So that's the way I get smart. Now, back to interviewing. Whoever I'm interviewing with should be able to ask really thoughtful questions based on what they've researched about the company. If they ask no questions or they ask something like, what's your culture like? Then they don't, they haven't taken the time to learn. So be curious about your profession. That's how you, I think you achieve egotistical utilitarianism. I'm with you. I love that. I totally forgot that this was a hiring podcast. So I appreciate you bringing us back. So In terms of the three takeaways for people to understand, know yourself. What was the second one again? Be curious about your profession. Okay. Now I'm going to move to the third one, which is honor the room. So let me explain this a little better. Yeah. We who are hiring, we have to have respect for all the effort that people put in before they're meeting with you. So you had this thing on LinkedIn where you talked about how you should follow your efforts, not your passion. Oh boy, you did your research. So this honor the room is about having respect for all the effort people put in before they met you. So let me ask you this. Uh 
This is your first, second, third, nth career. Which career are you on? That was when I was pursuing my idea that I wanted to get into technology. I want to learn business. I wanted them to re reimburse me for tuition if I wanted to go to law school. And then really what, and why I ended up hitting a wall there, even though I had some success, was I realized I didn't want to be a CIO. And so for me, like I'm the type of guy, especially at that point in my life, where I have to be taking steps towards what my ultimate goal is, right? And so if I knew that I didn't want to be a CIO, then I was on the wrong path. And so it was better for me right then to go find my next path. And so my thought process was, I want to do something sales and marketing related because I, I had uh, taken the classes for that in, in college, obviously. But also the two things that really turned me off about Fortune 500 corporate America was one, that the impact I was having in a big company like that just felt very minimal, right? Like at the end of the day, like if I missed two days of work, nothing broke, everything was okay, right? If for whatever reason I went missing for weeks, they'd find somebody else. It'd be okay. That bothered me. I felt like I wanted to have more impact. And at that level, I certainly wasn't having that. Second was the idea of meritocracy in corporate America. And so this idea of if you want to get to the highest level, right? A big part of it is your work and what you do, but a lot of it is not that as well. So it's not exactly a, always a fair game, depending on what company you work at. But it's also about, I was sitting next to peers, right? And I would be coming in a couple hours earlier and taking on way more work than I needed to and leaving a couple hours later. And yet my ability to be compensated for that wasn't meritocratic. It was like, your, here's your 10% raise. Here's, and it was very like, here's the process. And that wasn't enough for me. I wanted things in my own hands, I guess is the best way to put it. So I made the decision to leave corporate America and find something more sales and marketing related. I, really, I interviewed for commercial real estate, commercial banking, talked about me moving into national sales. So I considered that. And then a mutual contact of ours recommended that I meet somebody who was about six years younger than me, but an executive recruiter. And I was like, I had a bad experience. I was like, I don't know about that industry. And he said, just yes, meet him. And so I went, and then that was a great conversation that started percolating my mind about thinking about how this was an industry that really was not serving its customers, was not serving its candidates, was broken in a lot of ways, and needed to be fundamentally changed for the better. And that is what started me on what I would call the second part of my career, which is where I'm at now, pursuing how to make that revolution change. So I would say that I've only had, outside of the bagel place I worked at and the shaved ice place I worked at in high school and the bank I worked at in college, I would say I've had two careers. I had my corporate career that was about four years. And then this, ever since then, it's been on this mission to revolutionize hiring. We are the same. Okay. I'm on my second career. My first career was consulting. I had three different companies that I work for in consulting, but I'm on my second career. So when we talk about another room, if someone is on their final career and they've accomplished amazing feats and they are so established, don't make them prove anything to you. They don't need to. They've already accomplished it. They might be doing this because their wives are like, you're here all the time. Go back to work. There's <laughs> way too much of you and way too little money. Please leave. Don't make them prove anything to you. Okay. In contrast, if you hire someone straight out of school, take the time to recognize what they need as well. You need to mentor them. You need to coach them. So do you ever tell your mentors that they are your mentors and they raised you or have you ever done that? Yeah, I definitely do. I am. I think it's a thing of extreme gratitude because I have a lot of reflection on the people that have helped shape who I am and have put me in the places where I had experiences that have made me who I am. I think about that a lot. So yes, I'm very intentional about you've had an impact on me. And I like mentor can be a cheesy term. But yeah, I've had mentors, I've had sponsors, I've had champions, I've had all of it. And I try my best to let them know how important that was for me. 
if only to show gratitude, but also because, wow, that really impacted me. If you do that with 10 more people, just think about what your impact is. So yeah, I do that. Same. I've told all my mentors how much they've impacted my life. And I would say 50% of it came from my significant other who really coached me and raised me. The other 50% I got in the first three years of my career. So there's three people that were at KPMG who really helped establish my foundation. And then there are three people who are executive clients of mine that established me as who I am. If you are hiring someone who's new and fresh out of college or in the first career, you have to coach them and mentor them and guide them because they will never forget it. And they become people like us who go to their second career who will never forget what they did. So honor the room for those that are starting out and honor the room for those who have accomplished so much who doesn't have to do anything to prove to you what they've done. And then honor the room for people like us who've accomplished something. We have more to go, but help us get there. So when it comes down to hiring, I think it's about knowing yourself, being curious about your profession, and honoring the room. Like I said, I said one sentence. You did a couple more than one sentence. That was by far the longest answer we've ever had to that question. Incredible. Love it. Fantastic. And I think it's really important that we went into the depth that we did, and people can take that away. I would say one other thing I thought about, especially when you're talking about that mentorship and early in career talent is, it's the legacy mindset, isn't it? Yes. See? You're picking yeah. up on that. You're doing well on your move to legacy there. I so love it. Low. I got way more to go and less King's Landing burnings. And another example I thought about was how I was becoming like Walter White going from the beginning to at the end Heisenberg. I was like, oh my gosh, that's who I was becoming. <laughs> so let's talk. I love that you're bringing up all these pop culture shows that I love. Those are probably number one and two on my list of TV. Yeah. I'm going to say something about Breaking Bad that really stands out to me. So number one is... And I'm going to bring it back to careers. I promise everybody. The development of the characters in that show, both Jesse, but especially Walter White to Heisenberg, probably some of the most incredible writing, acting in the history of TV to watch it happen, right? So there's something in that that I think about a lot because I have a wife and four kids that I brought up many a times, okay? And it's obvious that to do what I do, it requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of sacrifice. So there's something about that show that really resonates with me, that keeps me in check. So here's what it is. You know the story. He gets cancer, can't pay for the treatment, so that he starts selling meth, right? And he is constantly justifying it throughout the course of the show about why he's doing this very bad thing, right? Because it's for his family, and it's because I have to pay for these things. And he keeps justifying. And then in the very last episode, he's sitting with Skylar, his wife, who he's gone through so much with, and this is like the first time they're meeting and since she's found out everything. And they're in a room. And he says, he's saying, hey, listen, I only did this for, she's like, I know you did it for us. He goes, no, because I did it for me. Mm. I did it for my own ego. I did it for my own trappings. And he finally admitted that. And I remember when I heard that at the first time, right? It was a point in my career where I've been telling my wife, I'm doing this for us. I'm doing this for our family. And I am, but I also had to check myself and say, but am I also doing it for myself? Mm. How much of that am I doing it for myself? And is that the right thing? And now I have to tell you, I found so much more balance after hearing that and saying, listen, man, it's great that you're doing all this stuff for your family, but you have to make sure that that doesn't blur over into an edge where you're actually taking away from your family and what they need and their time at this blind pursuit of something. So I love that you brought up 
Breaking Bad because that line right there probably changed my life for the better, I would hope, in terms of how much more, as much as I'm chasing something and I want to build something here with MSH, I have to remember what I'm doing it for. And you have to be careful not to take away too much off that plate to build this plate. So let me tell you how that impacted me. My entire life, I was like, I'm doing this to honor my family, to not bring shame, to make sure my parents are proud of me. And I told myself it was because I want to make my parents proud of me for so many years. And then finally, two years ago, I was like, you know what? It's because I like it. And like just the realization and looking that in the face, this is more about ego than it is about making my parents proud. Because what my parents wanted was just a baby like 10 years ago. It was about me. And that was such a pivotal shift in mindset and recognition. Wow. So we both watched that and processed it in very similar ways. The stories we tell ourselves at the end mm. of the day, listen, I'm doing it for my family, but I love this. My identity, as I said at the beginning, is tied up into this. And without it, I don't know. I don't know what I see when I look in the mirror. So like, it's okay to admit that. And it's okay to self-monitor those things and curate your behavior and actions and decisions because of that. So I think it's made me a better person. It sounds like the same for you. My gosh, we hit a lot of topics on this. I love it. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not dumbing down the conversation by doing it. I got to ask you, do you have a memorable interview, bad or good, maybe that you were a part of, or that you were interviewing somebody that stands out to you? Yes. So my previous employer I flew from Dallas to Los Angeles for an interview with four people. Two people didn't show up because they forgot about it. I actually bought a whole suit, did my hair, everything, flew across country to go do it. Two didn't show up. And then the third guy just did it over the phone, which I didn't need to be there in person. But then I interviewed one last person, one out of four. And then he turned out to be my counseling family leader. The whole conversation was 30 minutes and it was just about how are you doing? What's your personality like? Would I want to hang out with you at a bar? It was so easy. That to me was the dichotomy of the best and the worst non-existent interviews. But what I took away from that is that I was really young. I was starting out in my career and the people that took a chance on me, that left a lasting impact. Versus people are like, oh, she's young. Who cares? We can miss an interview. doesn't matter. That also left a lasting impact. Yeah. I got to say, I hope both of those people are listening to this podcast right now and feeling so much shame that they lost out on the chance to talk to the Lisa Liu. I what a bummer. <laughs> Experience is important, people. Do not forget your interview. Show up on time. Be engaged. It's the least you can do. Someone wise once said, honor the room. Do you have a favorite question that you love to ask in an interview? My favorite question. I don't have a favorite question. Actually, I usually start with tell me your story. Okay. And if they're well rehearsed, they tell me a very short pithy story. If they're not, it takes the whole interview and it lasts 30 minutes. Got it. I love that. So are you looking for that level of detail? Are you looking for it to be inorganic or organic? What, what, which stands out to you as more resonant or is somebody's more likely to be a fit for you? 
What I like is structure. So let's say I toss you in the middle of a field and there's nothing there except barren grass. I expect you to build structure out of absolutely nothing. And that's why I tell me your story is a blank field. How are you going to structure it? What homes are you going to build? Are you going to make this compelling or are you just going to ramble? Don't ramble. I got to ask you, I need some feedback. You've asked me some very open-ended questions here on this podcast. Have I been structured in my answers? Because I feel like I'm all over the place. So I don't know if you noticed this. Every single answer you have is structured in this way. I'm going to count three things I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain to you what those three things are with detail. And then I'm going to come back and tell you what those three things are as summary. It's pretty interesting to watch every time. The only time that you had two things was just for one question. The only time you had two things was about your career. You're like, ah, the impact was minimal and meritocracy. That was it. But every other time it's been three. Yeah, it must be an East Asian thing. Like you said, we love number three. All right, last question on the hiring side. When you miss on somebody, because we all do, or maybe you haven't, but I have, and you look back and reflect on what did I miss? What did I not see? What did I look too much into? Is there a common theme? I didn't know what I want. Like in the job, in the person, in the behavior or what? Or all? It always comes in a perfect storm. I didn't know what I want because at that moment, I only looked at the job description, but not whether I wanted them to focus on a specific outcome or we're building for long term. I didn't know what I want in terms of a cultural fit or is this a technical fit? I didn't know what I want if this was about someone who can take the reins and run with it or someone who is going to set up their own structure and lead. Didn't know if I'm giving them a team or they need to be able to lead a team that they didn't build Hmm. or whether they want to make their own mark that I help them or this is about the mark that I want to make that they help me. Like I just didn't know myself. And so I didn't know what to look for. I love that. I think that's 90% of the problem with most people who are interviewing. And I will throw this out there. If you ever come to that place again, give me a call 20 minutes. We'll do a therapy session. We'll pull out what is really important for you out of this. And then you'll know how to target your questions in the interview. I love that. All right. We've covered a lot here. I'm going to leave with one question. Okay. I think everybody already understands why you're my favorite person I met in 2022. (laughs) But if they didn't, we're going to close it out here real strong. If you had to offer One bit of career advice that you didn't know at the beginning of your career that you know now to somebody early in their career, what would it be? I have three. Oh, you can't 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 get away from the threes. We got to do threes. Do it. I would have been disappointed if you only said one. Let's be clear. The first one, be intentional. And that's why I loved that you said intentional and intentionality because nothing changes unless you choose to change. So I'll tell you one story. When I first came to America, I could not speak the language. And I was 10 years old. I got invited to the sleepover. And the girls there kept trying to tell me to put my hair down. But I didn't understand what they were saying. And I was so mortified that I couldn't speak that language. I went home. I didn't stay at the girls' night. And from that moment on, I decided when I was 10 that I was never not going to understand what people are saying. I will always speak the language no matter where I am. And that's why storytelling is so important to me. I have to be able to communicate. We have to be able to have a common language and I have to be able to relate to you. So be intentional 
Nothing changes unless you choose to change. Okay, I'm gonna say one thing before you get to number two. It's insane your mastery of the English language and King's English that you wasn't even your first language. And at 10, you didn't have any of this. And yet you articulate yourself in a way that few I've talked to can. Wow. So that intention that you had that day, not only did you get to the baseline, you took it up a notch. So I'm super impressed. All right. What's number two? Number two, build a board. Build a board. What's that mean? You and I are very grateful for our mentors, champion sponsors. Have a board that has your best interest at heart. Make sure they know who you are and have them guide you through the lattice of your career mm. board. If you don't, you're going to be mired down in where I am today. I don't know how to get to where I'm going in the future. You need a committee that'll help get you there. Oh, I love that. So like a board of directors, you're saying, a yes. board in your life that advises you. Yes. And you use the word lattice. Wow, I don't know that number three can be any better. What are we doing here? Let's hear it. The last one is be true to yourself. So I will tell you, no joke, this is a very serious thing I'm going to say. My entire life, people have told me, be yourself, but be someone else. No joke. And what they meant by that was be less wild, control your facial expressions, smile more, be more polished, do everything to hide who you are, especially in consulting, because you got to be polished as hell. So what I wish I knew back then was you got to be true to yourself. My, oh, my hero on this topic is my cousin, Sophia Lou. Did you watch the farmer's dog commercial? Now you got me on something I haven't seen. No, I don't know. Explain it to us. It is the number one ad during the Super Bowl. Okay. She edited that video. I she, feel like I saw what happened in the ad. What? The dog got older and they fed her the best food, but it was. Oh, I did. I saw that. I yeah, saw that. Okay. She edited that one. Wow. I know. So my cousin is so true to herself. She loves who she loves against all odds of being Asian and the whole thing that comes with it. She loves who she loves. She chased her passion. She went to school for what she's passionate about. She went to school for what she was good at. And she only chooses to do the commercials and the ads and the videos that she believes in. So she's an incredible representation of what be true to yourself looks like versus I think me, I have tried so hard to be someone else my whole life. And it was only until I was like 33 that I started to learn that it's okay to be me and it's okay to be myself. And I wish someone told me that when I was younger, be true to yourself. Just true to themselves, Matthew McConaughey. And that's how <laughs> in this business, we bring a podcast full circle. That's right. Lisa, be intentional, build a board, be true to yourself. That is great advice. So appreciative of your time and sharing your stories. I feel like I opened up and talked more about my life and my thoughts and beliefs in this podcast than any time I had previously. So I think that's a good thing. I guess we'll see what the people say in the comment section. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.